Thank you, Sister Connie. Jonah, chapter 1 this morning. Jonah, chapter 1. Jonah is one of the minor prophets. The last 12 books in your Old Testament are referred to as the minor prophets. Not because they are minor in importance, but because they're mostly minor in size. They're the shorter of the, of the books lengthwise. Jonah is in the midst of those. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. Right after the book of Jonah. Right before the book of Micah. Jonah chapter 1. I have struggled mightily this week because Jonah is four chapters long and I was trying to figure out how to preach this thing all in one. I finally decided we're going to have to take a couple weeks for this one. So we'll just look at the first part of it today. Jonah chapter 1. As always, if you don't have a Bible, please avail yourself to one of the ones in the seat in front of you. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone out down into the lowest parts of the ship, had lain down, and was fast asleep. So the captain said to, came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Please tell us for whose cause has this trouble come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? Of what people are you? So he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to return to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life, and do not charge us with innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly, and he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. And then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The waters surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. 
Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went. Father God, we're thankful for your word, and I pray today that as we look at just this first part of the story, speak to us, teach us from this, teach us the folly of running from God. I pray you would fill me with your spirit. I pray, Father, that you would take all the distraction out of my mind, for Lord, you know there's plenty there. Help me instead, Lord, to just be filled with your spirit and uh, an empty vessel. Use me today. And may I say only what I should and nothing else, and anything I should say, help me to say it as clearly and boldly as I can. And I pray for all of us, Lord, as we listen. Please help us to listen. Let all distraction be out of all of our minds. I pray we'd recognize for these next few moments that, Lord, this is your word. And uh, may we ask how it applies to us. May we not be as Jonah, running from you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Jonah was a prophet. He was the son of Amittai, according to Second Kings chapter 14, and verse 25. He was from a place called Gath-Hefer, which was in Galilee near Nazareth. He lived and prophesied during the reign of Jeroboam II, again, according to 2 Kings chapter 14. King Jeroboam lived during a time of great prosperity and peace, uh, and, and, and just, it was just a good time uh, for the children of Israel. And, and, and Jonah had actually prophesied that that would be the case. Jeroboam, during his reign, uh, recaptured a lot of the land that, had, that Israel had lost, so much so that during his reign, at least to the north, uh, Israel had expanded to the same boundaries, basically, that it had under David and Solomon. So it was a good time during which he prophesied. He's mentioned in Second Jonah, is mentioned in Second Kings chapter 14. That's how we're able to place him in the historical timeline of the events. That's how we know about when this took place. And Jesus mentioned him in Matthew chapter 12 and in Luke chapter 11. Other than those references, the only thing we know about Jonah, the son of Amittai, is what we read right here in these four short chapters uh, in our Old Testament. Nineveh was a city, a huge city. It was located just east of the Tigris River, about 550 miles northeast of Samaria, second only to Babylon in size at that time. It was located in what is now Iraq. It was very near the modern town of Mosul, which we see in the news from time to time. The city was originally built by Nimrod way back in Genesis chapter 10. Nimrod was the great-grandson of Noah, and uh, the, the ruins of Nineveh are still visible today. If you'd like to travel to Iraq, you can still see them today. So God called Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach. That's basically the background of what's taking place here in this, in this book of the Old Testament. So let's do what we always do. Let's look at what happened and see what we can see here. And the first thing that I see that happened is that God sent Jonah east but Jonah went west. That's the first thing. God gave Jonah a commission. He said, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it in chapter 1, verse number 2. Nothing unusual about that commission. It was the same commission God gave most of the prophets. Go to a place and preach to them. Now, it is possible that the fact God was sending him to a foreign and a heathen nation tripped him up a little bit. 
It was an unusual thing, but he was not the only one. There were a couple of other prophets who did minister outside of Israel. Other than that, though, this was standard prophet stuff. It shouldn't have surprised him at all when God said to him, go and preach. That's, that's what uh, prophets do. But Jonah chose, strangely, to disobey God's instructions. Instead of traveling northeast to Nineveh, he traveled 35 miles to Joppa, which was on the sea. When we've gone to Israel, we've gone to Joppa. Uh, he boarded a ship there. He set sail for Tarshish, which is about 2,500 miles further west in the very southwest corner of Spain. The farthest possible point in the known world that he could go to trying to run away from God. It would be like God telling me, Bill, go out here and turn north to Ravenna and preach. And I went out here and turned south and went to Key West instead. That would be about like what he was doing. So Jonah ran. He got on a boat. He headed the other way. I want you to notice it says he went down to Joppa. I think that's instructive. I think that's interesting. Verse number 3. It's a description of running from God. It's always the description of running from God. We're always going down when we're running from God. There is no up to it. Ever. It's only down. 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 And it says something else here. It says that he paid the fare thereof. And again... Uh, here's another wonderful issue or illustration of whenever we run from God. There is a cost to be paid when we're running from God. Donald Gray Barnhouse said, when you run away from the Lord, you never get to where you're going, and you always pay your own fare. But when you go the Lord's way, you always get to where you're going, and he pays the fare. I like that. So he went down. He paid the fare thereof. He got on a ship. He was heading to Tarshish as far as he could get away from the Lord. God said, go east. He went west. The second thing that I see happened is God stopped Jonah from going west. Stopped him in his tracks. Jonah might have thought that once he was on the boat, he had safely escaped God's call. He might have been breathing a sigh of relief of having avoided a difficult assignment. But I love the way verse 4 starts. I love the way verse 4 starts. But the Lord. But the Lord. God was not done yet. Anytime we're running from God, we ought to be looking for that, but the Lord, because it's there. God sent a great wind. He sent a storm. Now, the mariners on this ship were seasoned sailors, and yet this must have been quite a storm because it absolutely terrified them. Literally, the language there says God uh, caused a wind to burst forth. This was no ordinary storm. One ancient translation uh, put it like this, God hurled a great wind into the sea. And I could just picture that. I could picture God hurling a great wind down and a huge storm down, such as they had never seen before. And the mariners did everything they knew to do during a storm. They lightened the ship, according to verse 5. They prayed to their false gods. I, I can just imagine the chaos and the terror that must have been evident throughout that ship. Where is Jonah? Amazingly, Jonah is just went down into the bowels of the ship. The Bible says he was sleeping. He was sleeping. I can't imagine he was sleeping very well. I think maybe a better translation might be he was trying to sleep, trying to ignore what was going on. See, one overriding theme that we see throughout the book of Jonah, and we'll see it even more when we look at the last two chapters next week, but one overriding theme is the lack of concern for others that is shown by Jonah. His apathy in the midst of this storm, while everybody else around him is terrified for their very lives, crying out to their gods for deliverance, it demonstrated just how little he really cared. 
for their souls. And the same thing is seen in his attitude toward the Ninevites. We'll talk about that more next week. He just didn't care about them. He actually wanted them to face God's judgment. Another overriding theme that we see here in Jonah, and the one we are talking about today, is his continuous attempt to run from God. And I think that's also seen in this little part of the story. I think he's still running. He sees a storm. Where does he go? He doesn't go up on the deck to help. He runs down into the bowels of the ship to the hold to as far as he could get and curls up in the fetal position down there. I think he's still running from God. But Jonah, with all his faults that we see here, and they're plainly stated here, most people, uh, most uh, scholars think Jonah is actually the author of the book. There's no reason to believe any differently, and he certainly didn't hide his faults here. But with all his faults, he was a believer. The sailors, realizing this was no ordinary storm and obviously the work of God, cast lots. It was a common way of determining things. And they cast lots in verse number 7 to see who God might be judging. And, of course, you know what happened. The Lord directed that lot to point out Jonah. And when Jonah finally realized he couldn't run any further from God, his belief came out. He told the man, he said, I fear the Lord. Now, his words confess something, though, that his... Uh, Life wasn't exactly demonstrating at this moment, right? His walk didn't fit his words. He confessed to being a servant of Yahweh, the one who had made the sea, according to verse number 9. And when I think about that verse, I think about what they're all standing on the deck of the ship, towering waves all around them. And he said, made God, I serve the God who made the sea. And I can imagine all their eyes sweeping around them at the towering waves, <laughs> beating the ship to death. God, my God made that. And knowing that the storm was on account of his disobedience, Jonah told the men to cast him into the sea. These pagan sailors, though, they didn't want to kill Jonah. You know what? They demonstrated more compassion for Jonah, even though they knew he was the cause of their, their, near, near, death, their near death, than he did for them. So they tried to row against the storm, but no amount of rowing could defeat the storm. They would row, it would get worse. They would row harder, it would get worse until finally they exceeded and threw Jonah overboard in verse number 15. And again, I, I, I try to picture these things in my mind. I can imagine the worst possible storm at sea that I can possibly imagine with the waves just towering over the ship, and then they throw him in, his head goes under the water, and everything is instantly calm. It must have been amazing. The pagan soldiers recognized immediately what it was, or sailors. They recognized immediately this had to be of God. This was a God thing. It had to be. And they worshipped and took vows. Try for a moment to think what was going on in Jonah's head during these few moments. <laughs> His terror must have been real as the soldiers grabbed hold of him and carried him to the edge of the boat. I can imagine him holding on to the side of the boat for a few minutes as they were getting ready to throw him over. And then they threw him over. He must have believed himself a dead man. How could he not have thought himself a dead man as he entered the water and the water closed over his head? He had disobeyed God. And in his mind, he must surely have known that he was uh, now paying for that decision. As he sunk deeper and deeper into the sea, he must have thought over and over, Oh, I wish I'd obeyed. None of this would have happened if I'd only obeyed. But God wasn't done with Jonah yet. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, verse number 17. It's interesting to me, this whole book is filled with miracles. This whole book is supernatural in every way you can possibly think of, but this is the part everybody stumbles on right here. Why? That can't possibly be, preacher. 
That's impossible. Well, that couldn't happen. There's no fish that could possibly swallow a man. A whale certainly couldn't do it. And by the way, I find it interesting that I was just, as I was studying for this, this week, I read a news article about some dude who was scuba diving and got swallowed by a whale. Now, I shouldn't say swallowed. He made it into the whale's mouth, and he thought he was a goner, but the whales fit him back out. But nonetheless, there's all kinds of possibilities of what this thing was. There are fish that exist today, creatures that exist today could easily have swallowed a man. Sperm whales could do it. Whale sharks could do it. There are stories of, uh, of this kind of thing happening even in our day. And I don't have any difficulty believing it's possible that this fish was something specially prepared for Jonah, but I got for this very thing. The language there in the verse would certainly allow for that. And I think one of the things that causes us to stumble is, is, is we use that word whale. You notice the word whale didn't appear here. Uh, the only place the word whale appears is in the King James translation of Matthew 12:40, when Jesus said, as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. But there, as here, the translation would be more accurate, fish. It's not whale. It's great fish. And some say even that is not as accurate as sea monster. It was something big that was able to swallow a person. And that's all we really need to know. Regardless of what it was, it swallowed Jonah and carried him in its belly for three days. It was a miracle. And we should have no trouble believing in miracles. I mean, we believe Jesus died and was buried and laid in the grave for three days and then rose again of his own power and ability. We have no trouble believing that. Why would we have any trouble believing this, which Jesus said was actually a picture of his death and burial and resurrection in Matthew chapter 12? We often think of the fish as a uh, judgment on Jonah for God's running from him. But Jonah, interestingly, didn't see it that way. When the water closed over his head, he thought himself dead. And when he discovered himself alive in the belly of a fish, he praised God for his deliverance. You know, uh, all everything in chapter 2, that prayer, it was not a prayer for deliverance. Read it. We read it, but you could read it again. There's no place in here where he asked God for anything. He never said, God, deliver me. God, save me. He didn't. It was a song of praise, thanking God for delivering him from drowning. I don't imagine he expected anything but drowning when the men tossed him over the, the, the boat. But suddenly he found himself alive and he praised God. He said in verse 6, you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. So God has sent Jonah east. He went west. God stopped him in his tracks going west. And now the last thing that I see happens here is God sent Jonah east again. I love verse number 10 of chapter 2. So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. I love to visualize things when I read them in the Bible. And I have to say, what must that have looked like? I mean, think about that. Imagine being a fisherman on the shore when that happened. I recall one fundamentalist preacher that I used to be the pastor of a church that I attended, very fancifully describing this particular event. He described Jonah coming out of that fish with all of his hair gone off of his head, all of his skin bleached white from the gastric juices inside of this animal, you know, his clothes demolished and wiped out, seaweed and junk hanging all over him. And, of course, this preacher said he grabbed his Schofield Bible and went running toward Nineveh saying, Repent. And I always thought that was kind of a cute picture 
of what happened. What a sight. It was a miracle. And notice that God's instructions to Jonah had not changed. I like that chapter 3 and verse number 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it. Exactly the same thing he'd told him before. The only thing changed now was this time Jonah arose and went. We're going to pick up the rest of the story next week because it doesn't end there. There's a lot that goes on in the last two chapters, and we'll talk about them next week. But let's pause and just think about that part of it for a minute. Make a little application. What, what are some lessons for us from Jonah? And I think there's several. The first that comes to my mind is God controls everything. God is sovereign. That means he controls everything in your life, everything in my life. Now think about that. God had the man for the job already picked out. That was Jonah. God knew all about the boat. God knew the course it would take. God knew right where to send a storm to stop it. He had the storm all ready to go. He controlled the lots that were cast so that Jonah was picked. He intensified the storm when the men tried to avoid killing Jonah. He had a fish or something all prepared. He had the very spot picked out on the beach where that fish was going to deposit Jonah. Jonah had no doubt packed and prepared for his long trip to Tarshish. He he had boarded the ship with lots of luggage and stuff. But in the end, I think he ended up on the shore with nothing but seaweed and stomach juices and gunk. And he was saying, thank God. And he was praising God. Why? Because he knew God had delivered him. And he had learned that God controls everything. So the next time God said, go, he got up and he went. God is sovereign over everything. He sent the wind in verse number 4. He directed the lot to point out Jonah in verse number 7. He created and sent the fish in verse 17. He gave the fish a bellyache so it would vomit Jonah out, Jonah out in verse 10. He controls everything. He is sovereign over everything in our lives. And so may we never forget that when we are tempted to run from him. Second application I see is this. There is a cost to running from God. There is a cost to running from God. We mentioned this already, but did you notice? Jonah paid to get on the ship, and he sure paid again to get off of it. If God tells you to do something and you run the other way, you better get your wallet out because the cost is going to be high. Perhaps you're thinking, well, I can understand, preacher, what, what, what it means when applied to Jonah, but what do you mean by running from God? How would a person today run from God? How many of us are going to be called upon to go and preach to Nineveh? And I think it's really pretty simple. Jonah was given a very clear instruction, which he refused to obey. That's running from God. We often do the same. We're told what God wants from us. We're told what the Bible says, but we run the other way. When you know the word, of God, when you know what the Bible teaches, and yet uh, you make a conscious choice to ignore it or to run from it, then you're just like Jonah, running from God. There's a fare to be paid. There's a cost to be paid, and the cost is high. But there's something even more sobering than the cost of running from God, and that is this. There is simply no possible way you can succeed. 
there is no possible way that you can succeed when you're trying to run from God. Many years before Jonah was born, David wrote Psalm 139. Listen to what he said in Psalm 139, verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. You can't run from God. You can't succeed at it. Jonah would have known that psalm. It was written years before he was alive. And he no doubt had read it often. He would have been familiar with the scriptures for he was a prophet. I wonder if he was remembering those words as he sunk beneath the waves. I wonder if he was thinking, what a fool I was to think I could run from God. What an idiot to think I could find any place far enough to get away from God. We all come to that point when we try to run from God. And we all learn the same hard lesson he did. It is simply not possible. You might think you've got it all planned out, or I might think we've got it all planned out. We might think our situation is different, but it's not. We might think that the warnings of Scripture don't apply to us, but they do. You might comfort yourself with the thoughts you've been running for a while now and seem to be getting away with it. Oh, I'm just fine, preacher. Thank you very much. I'm having no troubles. Just leave me alone. Another preacher... Solomon, in Ecclesiastes, said, Because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. In other words, because the judgment doesn't fall immediately, people think they're perfectly okay to just keep right on running from God. In another of his psalms, David talked to God about the arrogance of those who think they're getting away with sin. He has said in his heart, I shall not be moved. I shall never be in adversity. Psalm chapter 10, verse 6. He has said in his heart, God has forgotten. He hides his face. He will never see. Verse 11. He has said in his heart, you will not require an account. Verse 13. But then comes verse 14 of that psalm. Oh, but you have seen. For you observe trouble and grief to repay it. By your hand. There is no possible way of success when running from God. You won't get away with it. Ever. Ever. I want to conclude with two last, two last applications, but these are aimed directly at those who might be running right now. And in a crowd of this size, there may be somebody here who would have to admit to themselves, yeah, you're right. I'm running from God right now. I'm just as Jonah. Now, there's something in my life. And so let me just share two last applications for you, if that's you. First is this. The correct response from one who has run from God or is running from God is to turn around and get back on the right path. Perhaps you're thinking right now, I'm Jonah. I'm running. I know what God wants from me, but I'm going in the opposite direction. Or perhaps you're thinking, I've been doing that for a long time, and I just don't know how to correct. Well, realize this, Jonah is not just an example of how to run from God. He's also a great example of how to stop running. Jonah arose and went, chapter 3 and verse number 3. We ought to underline that. I don't know, maybe that's one of the key verses of the whole book. Jonah arose and went. It didn't matter that he had gone wrong in the past. It didn't matter that he had been going the wrong direction. He made a decision now to turn around, go the right way, starting now, and that's the only correct response. Jonah arose and went, turn around, do right, go where he wants you to go, do what he wants you to do. That place you've been avoiding, go there. That that thing that you've been running from, do it. That's the right response. Jesus told a parable of two sons. 
He said, what do you think? A man had two sons. And he came to the first and said, son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second and said, likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? And those who were listening said, well, the first. And, of course, we'd all say amen to that. One son initially ran from God, but then turned around. That's Jonah. Jonah arose and went. I had a friend named Lyons Lawson. I think I've shared this with some of you before, but Lyons Lawson was a deacon in a church that I attended in Michigan, Emmanuel Baptist Church in Michigan. He loved the Lord. Lyons loved telling other people about Jesus. He was just a good believer. He told a story one time in one of our Sunday school classes about a business trip that he was taking. He was driving his car down one of the highways in Michigan someplace. I, I don't know where. And as he was driving along, he noticed a young man hitchhiking along the side of the road. And so he pulled over and picked up this young man hitchhiking. As they drove along, they conversed. And Lyons being the sole winner that he was, the conversation turned to Christ. And over a period of time, the young man became convicted of his sin, bowed and prayed and trusted Christ right there in the seat of his car. And after he had prayed, he looked at Brother Lyons and he says, you know, would you mind just pulling over right here? Stop the car. I need to get out. And Brother Lawson said, well, we're not where we're supposed to be going yet. I mean, we've got ways to go. I'll take you the whole way. And he said, no, we're not going there anymore. He said, I have some things to take care of. And so Lyons Lawson pulled over the side of the road, and he let the guy out. And he said he watched as the young man ran across the highway and ran across the median strip and ran across the other side of the the two-lane road over there and started hitching the other way. And Brother Lawson said that was the most beautiful illustration of repentance he'd ever seen. That's Jonah. Turn around. Go back. Start over. Jonah arose. And went. The last application for those who might be running is this. Hopefully, hopefully it encourages us all. And that is this. God doesn't give up. God won't give up on you. He didn't give up on Jonah. It would be easy to look at what happened to Jonah here and think we see an example of God's judgment. But I think we see something else. I think we see an astonishing example of God's grace. I mean, think about this. It was God's grace that brought Jonah into the world in the first place. It was God's grace that made him a preacher in the first place. It was God's grace that gave him the opportunity to preach to the Ninevites. God's grace that followed him onto that ship. It was God's grace that sent the storm to stop him. It was God's grace that caused the lot to select him. It was God's grace that prompted the sailors to throw him into the sea. It was God's grace that sent a fish to save him. It was God's grace that carried him safely in the belly of that fish for three days. It was God's grace that deposited him alive on the shore, and it was God's grace that once again said, go and preach the grace of God. Paul wrote to the Philippians, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And we usually read that verse, and we usually think of that verse as applying to our eternal security in Christ. And I do believe it says that. But I want you to notice what one man said about this verse. He said this, and I'm quoting, He said, God will certainly continue his work with us, regardless of what happens, and will preserve us for heaven. But this verse also means, and we must not miss it, that God is so determined to perfect his good work in us that he will continue to do so with whatever it takes, regardless of the obedience or disobedience of the Christian. 
Will you go in his way? Then he will bless your life and encourage you. Will you run as Jonah ran? Then he will trouble your life. If necessary, he will even break it into little pieces if by so doing he enables you to walk in his way once again. So my brother, my sister, even if you're running, God won't give up on you. He'll never give up on you. I wonder this morning, are you running from God? Maybe you're running this morning from salvation. Have you heard the gospel? That Jesus died for you and calls you to believe and trust in him, but you've ignored it, you've avoided it, you've run from it. (laughs) The very fact that you are still here, still hearing it, is evidence God hasn't given up on you. He hasn't. Turn around. Trust Christ. Be saved. Are you running from something else, Christian? What is it that you know God wants from you, but you're ignoring You're avoiding. You're running from. There is only one fix, and it's the fix of Jonah. There's only one cure. It's Jonah's cure. Stop running. Turn around. Do what he wants you to do. Jonah arose and went. Well, Father, I thank you for this first half of the book, and I pray, Lord, that you bless it to our hearts. I know, Lord, you've spoken to my heart from this. Forgive me for the times that I have run from you. Thank you for the grace that has, in every case, turned me around. And I pray, Lord, for those here today who might be going through something similar. Lord, I pray for those here today who might not know you as Savior, who might be lost. If they've been attending this church for any time, they've heard the gospel multiple times. If they have not yet accepted it, if they've avoided it, if they've run from it, I pray today, Lord... You'd get a hold of their heart. You'd speak to their heart. You'd let no distractions occur. As we sing in a moment, they'd, they'd recognize they need this so desperately. And they'd see the grace of God that has given them so many chances. And they'd step out and they'd come and they'd let someone lead them to Christ. Lord, I pray if there's anybody like that, they'd stop running and arise and turn to you. And Lord, I pray for Christians here. I don't know what's on people's hearts and lives. I just pray that whatever it is people might be running from, they'd see the folly of it. And I pray they'd turn to you. Lord, I pray everybody in this place would look at their own heart and not look at anybody else in the room, but look at their own heart and say, Father, is there anything I'm running from? Is there something you have wanted from me? Something that I need to be doing? Something that I need to be living? Some way I need to be living different that would honor you? Uh, I've been running from it. Lord, forgive me. Help me. Point it out to me. Lord, if we need to pray that prayer today, I pray that everyone would look at their own hearts and do that this day. Father, whatever decisions need to be made as we sing, if people need to step out, come to the front and pray. Uh, Lord, may they know there will be people here to pray with them. And I just pray we'd make the choices and decisions we ought to. Help us to stop running from God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.